Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's show. My name is Spencer Walsh. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Got a good one for you as we are back here on News Flash. This is what's on the agenda today. We are taking a look at the new redistricting situation uh, with a pretty big eyebrow-raising um, fact coming out of that, coming out, which is really there are an increasingly small amount of competitive seats in the nation, um, you know, getting cut in half um, from just 20, 10 years ago. And it is a big trend a lot of people are freaking out about. Is it worth the freak out? We will let you know. Uh, another thing people are definitely freaking out about is Joe Rogan, the controversial podcasters, apologize again for shameful uses of, you know, that racial slur. Also, climate change has entered the brand, the, the therapy room here for the first time, according to the New York Times. Take a look at that. The police killing of Amir Locke on the no-knock warrants leads Minneapolis, the uh, again in the news for bad policing practices, uh, to suspend that policy. It's still in use in a lot of other parts of the country, though. Um, really, really horrific situ- situation. We'll get you caught up with with uh, Amir Locke and Kashama Sawant writing in Jacobin about Starbucks workers in their fight for a better world. You're listening to Newsflash. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into it, starting at the top today, taking a look at these new districts. So really a number of competitive house districts have been, you know, been redistricted and made a lot more competitive, made it or less competitive, made it made into these vote stinks for either party. And really what we're seeing now for the first time is um, a genuine acknowledgement to 10 years later after the really the, just the havoc that the Republicans have wrought with this the new gerrymandered um, you know house system and how well they did not only in you know the national elections but in the local elections in 2010 they were able to completely uh, redraw the country and you know really do incredible amounts of damage for 10 years and with that purpose we are seeing you know these brand new maps being drawn and with now two-thirds of the new boundary set, 
mapmakers are on pace to draw fewer than 40 seats uh, out of 435 that are considered competitive based on the 2020 presidential election uh, results. So 10 years ago, that number was 73. Uh, that is a pretty big cut. Again, as I said, almost half there. So not something that a lot of people are going to want to, you know, not a lot of people are going to want to see because, you know, their votes are not mattering. And, but again, I think really this represents a much broader trend of politics and the way people process politics and have processed politics for a long time. Again, it is absolutely true that the partisan, um, you know, forces in this country, the partisan, you know, pe- the people who love Team Red or Team Blue um, are the only people you know, are are exercising a lot of influence on on politics, and that is because they are the only people paying attention. Because politics, there's nobody for anything else. Politics is this, you know, it really is this simple. Like when you come down to it, time and time, election after election, you're getting a declining amount of people on the two polls, and the rest of the people, um, you know, you get. A, <laughs> frankly, I'm going to say it. You know, a very interesting view. Uh, to say the least, that, you know, love to hang out in the middle, you know, with the true independence. But a lot of the people have really decided um, through, you know, the fact that they have other things to worry about or they're just too too pissed off, rightfully so, to realize that the government, whatever form, is not going to do anything for them. And the people who say that, oh, it's privileged, are oftentimes the most particularly privileged people. All the people who are whining, whining, whining about, oh, you know, you need to vote. It's so important that you vote. The people who are overwhelmingly turning away from the ballot box are not the, not the, you know, not the people who are, uh, you know, living well and telling you that you're not privileged for if you feel bad about voting because those people are the most privileged. The people who are not voting are overwhelmingly the people who are too busy and really time and time again have seen that nothing has changed and a big reason for example you look at why hillary clinton lost wisconsin um a big part of it was was why uh was in you know detroit for example areas around there sorry what am i talking about detroit uh i'm, I'm thinking of michigan here uh not wisconsin so a big a big reason why that was like you know, the turnout in these small like small percentage areas um you know when we look at the entire millions of million hundreds of million uh, large electorate, They're like these small areas, these small precincts in this one city, um, where there was just a really large decrease in turnout among the black population, was absolutely influential into why she didn't do it, and she just took these people for granted, and they started to realize it, and they said, you know what, there is really no benefit in voting, because we're not going to vote with the Republican, but there's no point in voting for you, because you didn't even show up. You didn't even bother showing up. I mean, that's Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden did a little bit better. You know, it was a different situation. Um, but it really shows you. I think, like, again, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, the, the partisanship. It's getting bad. It's getting scary. You know, what are we going to do about all this stuff? Oh, no. Like, no. This is a situation that has been actively created by years and years and years of our government that was built up, you know, in the post-war era, you know, in the Great Depression, the Green New Deal. I'm sorry, Green New Deal, the New Deal, the the OG one. I made that mistake before. Uh, you know that was built up. That was the you know a real time where Americans were able to think that yeah okay our state can actually do something for us. And then you know you wait two you know two seconds, and then that reaction begins. That chipping, chipping, chipping away. And that that project has been the conservative project for since 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 this point since that point. And you know. 
they're getting further and further uh, on molested here uh and that is a big big thing to see because if you look at the 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 partisanship on the other side is team blue it's just a bunch of people waving the pom-poms going like what tuning into msnbc uh every night cheering for rachel maddow yeah 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 and like that is great and that's obviously what you know for example the republicans do for donald trump but they have an actual effective you know, it's not very democratic, but they have a policy operation that is functional. When they get into power, they do stuff like they. It's not. It's not like they're. You know, especially with Trump, they weren't that efficient. But in large part, that's because it's Trump. If you look at the machinery of the right wing movement in this country, um, that is you know where the true effectiveness lies. Because if we talk about partisanship. You talk about two equal sides going back and forth, and that. My friends, ladies and gentlemen, listeners to this podcast, is a fundamentally flawed way to understand politics. All right. We are going to go on to our next story. And it is about Joe Rogan. Uh, So, interesting situation here. As uh, Joe Rogan, he has pressure, he is facing some pressure, some tensions. You know, he's. Folks, he could be canceled for the gazillionth time. Uh, I think we are, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the last show, too. Uh, we re- made a great piece here by uh, Bashkar Sankara about why this may be a bit of an overreaction, but things have transpired since then. This is uh, Ben Cesario in the New York Times. As pressure has intensified on Spotify and the star podcaster Joe Rogan, listeners reported that the company quietly removed dozens of episodes of the show while Rogan apologized early Saturday for use of a racial slur you know, that racial slur in past episodes. Um, so yeah, let's take a look at what he had to say on an Instagram video. Um, I'm making this video to talk about the most regretful and shameful thing that I've ever had to talk about publicly. There's a video that's out. That's a compilation of me saying the N word. It's a video that's made of clips taken out of context of me, of, 12 years of conversations on my podcast and it's all smushed together and it looks fucking horrible even to me now i know that to most people there's no context where a white person is ever allowed to say that word never mind publicly on a podcast and i agree with that now i haven't said it in years but for a long time when I would bring that word up, like if it would come up in conversation and stay, instead of saying the N word, I would just say the word. I thought as long as it was in context, people would understand what I was doing. Like that context was part of the, we were talking about Red Fox, how Red Fox said that word on television in the 1970s and how times have changed so much since then. Or about how Richard Pryor used it as one of the titles of one of his albums. Or I was quoting a Lenny Bruce bit, or I was quoting a Paul Mooney bit, or I was talking about how Quentin Tarantino used it repeatedly in Pulp Fiction, or I was talking... Yeah, so you get the idea there, and this is, to me, again, you keep seeing it with Joe Rogan and all the people that hate him, you know, over and over again. Personally, you know, I, you know, haven't really listen to Joe Rogan. I personally haven't really looked at and gotten too much invested in like the obsessive, you know, hatred of him either. You know, he's not my like personal idea podcaster. You know, I think he's like kind of funny, you know, interesting, whatever. But really what he is, you know, more than anything 
is, you know, he it's it just like every everything you see about him in the media, it, it looks bad. I mean, for example, just look look at look at how this phrase here. Um, you can see it. Uh, in an Instagram video, Rogan, whose talk show The Joe Rogan Experience is Spotify's most popular podcast. Again, you know, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell taking their uh, songs off in protest. Address what he called the most regretful and shameful thing I've ever had to talk about publicly. As you saw, their compilation video showed Rogan using the slur numerous times in past episodes of his show. Uh, it had been shared by the singer India Ari, who has removed her catalog from Spotify in protest of what she called Rogan's language about race. So uh, Rogan has said the compilation was drawn. Again, you know, you heard what he said. Um, when posting clip compilation, Ari said that Rogan shouldn't be uttering the word don't say it under any context. In his video, Rogan said he had come to agree with that view. It's not my word to use. He said, I'm well aware of that now. And he said he had not spoken the slur in years. Uh, so in his latest video, Rogan also discussed a clip uh from another podcast episode. And this, again, this is even familiar because you can see how long this has been going on. I remember seeing this clip when people were getting mad at Bernie for, you know, um, posting this this interview. Um, or, sorry, posting the interview he did with, and going on Joe Rogan and, you know, and accepting his endorsement, whatever, whatever. Um, but, yeah, he had s- said he had deleted, uh, which he described seeing Planet of the Apes at a theater in the black neighborhood in um, Philadelphia. And I was trying to make the story entertaining, and I said, it looked like we got out and we were in Africa. Uh, so, you know, saying, connecting it, to saying it's like we were in Planet of the Apes, and so it looks terrible in context. Yeah, again, all these things, again, this is pretty much my, if you want my, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you do, but I guess you listen to this podcast, I guess. Uh, but like the thing about Joe Rogan that I think the best way to understand him is that he is such a perfect stand-in for the average American. Like if you look at the just dead center person, like the person I'm not talking about, like the people who were I've mentioned before, like people in the center. Uh, these are the people who are kind of ch- checked out from politics. You know, the the average American going out his day every life, uh, going out day to day life. You know, cares about a million other things. But definitely, from time to time, talks about politics. And because it's his job to sit around and talk about things, because most people who, you know, listen to him do other jobs that, you know, aren't necessarily the jobs that people are criticizing him do, if I had to guess. But, you know, it's also, it's people, you know, it's, it, that's true. It, it, with Joe Rogan, it is people, I would say, really all from the, from all over the income scale. But, you know, there is, you know, the Joe Rogan stereotype listener. Yeah, I think it's, it's different to a lot of different people. But in the end, um, well, like what we can see is like the, the. I think when I look at Joe Rogan, and you see it in everything he does. He is a just an average person. Like he's somebody who is completely not, you know, media trained, not professional sounding in any way. Um, and he, for example. I bet you, if you asked, you know, he probably said those things, what, like, early 2010s, late 2000s, if I had to guess. Um, like, if you wa- walked around to, because people forget, like, the, the woke standard of things is very, very new. Like, gay marriage was just accepted, um, you know, by the Democratic Party around, like, the first election of Barack Obama. Like, it, this is a very, very new thing. Uh, you know, people, you know, getting mad at you, for example, for saying the wrong, you know, the wrong word like that. That's gotten intensified very, very fast in a very, very short period of time. Because I bet if you went to 
ask the average American if you went to like any you know uh, you know softball game, uh, if you went to you know uh, a kid soccer game or whatever, went to your pick any place where norm, you know normal Americans hang out, um, and ask them if would you think it's okay to use the N word in in context? You know, if you're talking about Red Fox, if you're quoting somebody else, like you know that is a view that. I bet you a lot of people still have now in a lot of parts of the country, let alone, like, 2011, 2012. Like, that is no, you know, you can still be offended by it if you want. You could still think, oh, it's the absolute end of the world for Spotify to platform this absolute monster, you know, which, to be honest, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it is, I think, if you want to understand, I think, Joe Rogan in a sensible, non-hyperbolic way, in either way, you know, I see people on Twitter be like, you know, Joe Rogan being, like, Joe Rogan is not a racist. He's the best person in the world. No! Like, he's not a racist. He's not the best person in the world. He is the complete stand-in. And it's really what makes him so, spe- like, the, the, the biggest, po- most popular podcaster in the world by far, is that, like, he actually is representative of the average, you know, American male. Like, because that is a take... I bet you, if you think back long, like you you've heard somebody say that in your life, you know. Oh yeah, the, you you get they get what I mean, you know. Like why are they so you know? I'm using it in the right way. I know you shouldn't say it. It's a bad thing to say, but you know it's the right way to use it. Like uh, I'm not trying to be offensive. It's just like I'm just quoting someone else who said it before. You know that was and for a lot like in mainstream culture that was an acceptable thing to say. If you look back at that time. You know, people were saying some pretty crazy stuff from the perspective of literally, uh, you know, just a few years ago. And that is, you know, and, and people really, I think, do have some kind of crazy like cultural amnesia on that because just how quickly uh, things turned so, um, you know, tight. And I think they, for a large part, like should have tightened up for, you know, to the extent they did. I think there's, you know, always, you know, there's, there's always too much tightening up. But, you know, it's very good, I think, for a large extent that uh, things are, like, tightening up and people are sensitive about that than, you know, the way they are. Uh, but I think it really comes to show that people, they get they get very freaked out about Joe Rogan. But, again, the what I will always tell you, my listener, the advice for, the, the advice I have for you on this Netflix- subject is calm. Calm, calm, calm wins the day because there's no use freaking out over somebody. Because even it gets kicked off Spotify. <clears throat> Excuse me, jeez, uh, that's staying in everybody. Uh, but like, even if he gets kicked off Spotify, he's going to go back to YouTube. He's going to be available to everybody. He's going to make ad money on YouTube again. He will find a way to make money no matter what because he's represents so many people. He is on a plat like. He, and he's such a big like name brand, and people are going to still want to come and talk to him because, like, I really think that it is at that point, uh, you know, where you look at it, and that's that's just the way things are. All right, we have three more great stories, so just keep listening.
outside of my palace. You are listening to Newsflash, and we're, we're getting a little bit of uh, climate change talk here. Very interesting situation um, here in the New York Times. It was of these like uh, off the beaten path Sunday pieces. Um, so this is Ellen Berry writing in the New York Times. Um, it would hit Alina, Alina, Alina Brick, Black, uh, in the snack aisle at Trader Joe's. A wave of guilt and shame that made her skin crawl. Something as simple as nuts. They came wrapped in plastic, often in layers of it, uh, that she imagined leaving her house and traveling to a landfill where it would remain through the li- her, through her lifetime and the lifetime of her children. She longed, really longed, to make less of a mark on the earth. But she also had a baby in diapers, a full-time job, and five-year-old who wanted snacks. At the age of 37, these conflicting forces were slowly closing in on her like a set of jaws. In the early morning hours after nursing the baby, she would slip down a rabbit hole, scrolling through news reports of droughts, fires, mass extinction, then she would stare into the dark. Depressing. Jeez. Uh, and for that reason, around six months ago, she searched up climate anxiety. You know, if you're looking at if you're living in Portland, you know, that is that is a very, like, it may seem for people, who, you know, living in the Northeast, you're like, oh, climate anxiety. Like, just, just don't read the news. <laughs> but, like, if you think about Portland and the chances are that like being in that era you like you smelt the smoke from wildfires around you you know people have been personally affected by wildfires like that is a much much more real thing for you and also like it is kind of the more rational thing to do to a certain extent to to be worried about this it's a very very respectable thing to do uh to like you know want to make less of a mark on the earth and i I think that is really the thing that's kind of going around people and making people more and more insane and it's a on a lot of different things, it comes like it comes in the form of climate change. It comes in the form of like your your work, uh, your, your kind of quality of life, and just like the thing, like the ability and the really kind of mental disease. I think that's kind of beginning to fester in people because they realize that like so much democratic control over their lives have been taken from them in so many different ways. Um, like that, just disease is kind of coming over people. Is like make, it's manifesting in so many different ways, and the the most. I think damaging thing is just like this American culture of like individual mentality. Like it's all, you got to figure it out your way. You got this. Like it is, you know, you just, it's, you can do a little bit more by like recycling and just putting this like one piece of trash out, you know, your snacks in Trader Joe, Joe's are the reason why like Americans are, you know, and you know, climate change is causing a massive problem. Like, like that is a really like that is designed to make people go crazy because you're going to still see all these news reports the numbers are going to continue to like uh, go up the wildfires will continue to happen uh, and then you're going to like more and more this moral pressure is going to come in like just a ratchet effect to make you crazier and crazier and crazier when nothing happens like oh you do the recycling at whole foods but still you know carbon carbon emissions go up you know the global temperature is getting closer and closer like four degrees celsius or whatever like it is so just disillusioning and, and climate change is just one example of you know the state of our politics now and it shows you that you know i think that that's a very just kind of that microcosm there of just one thing i think can really be applied to so many others um all right, so we are going to now go on to our next story, and that is a really kind of tragic story. This is the police killing 
of Amir Locke. So the Minneapolis has suspended this this um, no knock warrant custom. So this again after here in the Washington Post, the fatal shooting of 22 year old Amir Locke by Minneapolis police on Wednesday back at J- Jesus Christ uh, has renewed scrutiny of no knock raids. Uh, the practice that drew outrage two years ago after the Louisville police killed Brianna Taylor during a similar operation. Because remember, she was just sleeping. Police came in, you know, they thought she, her house, her boyfriend, her ex was whatever, it was like holding drugs or something like that. You know, very murky, sketchy reasoning. Like, no knock warrant, came in, shot her, and that just horrific, horrific situation. Uh, it was a very, very similar to... Um, what happened to Amir Locke. So if you don't know, um, it a really horrific situation. So this is how uh, the parents describe it. Andre Locke and Karen Wells said that their public remarks uh, and the first public remarks about their son's fatal shooting. He'd been a good kid with no criminal history who had been raised to respect police and mentored by relatives in law enforcement. They said that Locke was legally armed when the police entered a no uh, knock warrant inside his downtown Minneapolis apartment where his son was lying on a couch. Andre Locke said his son reacted as any reasonable law-abiding citizens would do to protect themselves, and never had a chance to respond to officers before shots were fired. The shots he was he was he was dead less than ten seconds after the first officer entered the house. Really awful situation, just on his couch on tape, that kind of way. Really just awful, awful stuff. Um, really uh, awful situation there. So please said that they shot and killed Locke early Wednesday as members of the department's SWAT team carried away a raid related to a homicide investigation in neighboring St. Paul. Uh, so, Amelia Huffman, the interim police chief, said the man had pointed a loaded gun in the direction of officers, prompting one of the officers to shoot and kill the man. Again, no-knock warrant, middle of the night, you know, dark room, you're, like, asleep, you know, your gun's next to you. I don't, like... Or, you know, dark room, like, groggy, watching TV on the couch. Like, what? Like, that is a very reasonable thing to do. And that's why No Knock Warrant should be just banned on site, you know, through so, you know, through every single police uh, police department uh, in the country here. And it looks like they're getting suspended in Minneapolis. So, uh, so yeah, the police raids, yeah, in Police raids in general, they're executed and enforced around the country in a very kind of, in a way that's drawn a lot of criticism as of late, as you can imagine. Slow progress on reforming and regulating the practice has read victims and justice advocates continuing to press for meaningful change. Both Locke and Taylor's deaths resemble a situation that one policing expert called many people's worst nightmare while a person is asleep at home at night, armed men burst in with little to no warning. Like, that is the. Like, that is, the, like, the American, you know, fantasy slash nightmare of, you know, you, you come in, our men in your house, you got a gun, they got a gun, what do you do, you know? Like, that is an incredibly, like, palpable situation in the American psyche, I think. Um, that's This is the kind of kind of the most serious thing that a government can do. Barry Freeman, faculty director at the policing project at NYU's law school, said, you think it's the most regulated, but there's almost no regulation. Locke's death in the no-knock raid has reinflamed tensions in Minneapolis, where residents are still grappling with the fallout from George Floyd's 2020 murder and the trial of three officers who arrested Floyd underway. 
We have a city that just refuses to learn, said Jeff Storms, a civil rights attorney for Locke's family. We continue to be known for these colossal civil rights failures. And so now the question is, is the city going to hold itself accountable? And can we believe the city anymore when they say they're going to learn from their mistakes? Um, So... Jacob Frey here uh, finally waking up, the the kind of uh, controversial mayor of Minneapolis, announcing Friday the city would suspend the use of no-knock warrants, those in which officers enter a property without first announcing their presence. So maybe if if they'd heard police, 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 he would have been, you know, a guy who respects law enforcement, he would not have gone to the gun. Uh, But he comes in, bursting the house, and again, the uh, attorneys are saying he wasn't the target. So, like, again, really just in in and of itself, just dumb, really, really dumb, uh, not to mention just incredibly cruel and horrifying. Um, yeah, so no matter what information comes to light, it won't change the fact that Amir's life was cut short, uh, said Frey, noting the body camera footage in the incident raises more questions than answered. To ensure a to ensure the safety of both public and officers until new public policy is crafted, I'm issuing a moratorium on both requests and the execution of such warrants in Minneapolis, said Frey in a statement. Frey had said the city has tapped experts to advise officials on revamping the police search warrant unit, including Peter Kraska, professor of police studies at Eastern Kentucky University, who helped state craft craft state uh, legislation for regulating no-knock raids after Taylor's death. Uh, so a caravan of demonstrators briefly blocked traffic late Friday to protest Locke's killing, and hundreds of demonstrators filled the streets of downtown Minneapolis. Again, on Saturday evening, local media has reported. So we'll see what's happening on Sunday, uh, or t- tonight meeting. But anyway, we will now go to our last story. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of His Royal Highness, the Duke of Edinburgh. It's News Flash. Shamus Wat in Jacobin today, talking a little bit about these Starbucks workers. Very interesting. So hear what she has to say. Writing, Starbucks workers in Buffalo, New York, voted in December to become the first recognized union of the coffee giant in the country. Inspired by the victory, workers have launched a national wave of organizing at Starbucks and other coffee chains. Organizing drives had been announced at more than 55 Starbucks locations. Safe to say this one victory, two victories even um, in Buffalo, in the Buffalo area, are going to be so, so huge for the for the locations. So the union push had spread to Seattle, home to Starbucks headquarters and billionaire former CEO Howard Schultz, and also where I serve on the city council as the only elected socialist newly uh, free from that recall... Shout out Shamus Wan there. Uh, she's a member of Socialist Alternative and the DSA. And she said, my council office stands ready to uh, stand unequivocally with coffee workers. And we are ready to do whatever we can to support them. The uh, organizing drive can be a crucial step in rebuilding a fighting labor movement in the United States. It comes in the wake of last fall's powerful striketober actions when over 100,000 workers went on strike amidst the historic crisis of capitalism marked by low wages, unsafe conditions, and the worst inflation in four decades. Um, Yeah, so, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has put the health workers as, you know, and millions of other frontline workers at risk. And again, 
despite the trademark progressive rhetoric, Starbucks management is doing everything it can to crush the new union in its midst. Starbucks Workers United. This includes threatening workers, closing down stores temporarily, saying an army of 100 managers to Buffalo, including Schultz and top Starbucks executive uh, Roseanne Williams. Um, the bosses are talking out of both sides of their mouths, as usual. Starbucks saying, you know, they're, they're going to vote in or bargain in good faith with the union while simultaneously threatening workers and forcing them to attend required anti-union propaganda meetings at their workplaces. Uh, saying, quote, we're not anti-union, we're just pro-partner. Uh, and again, this is one of the best things, you know, the associates, the team members, you know, that get paid, um, uh, like, uh, indecent wages and paying their CEO, Kevin Johnson, a cool sum of $20 million a year. If Starbucks executives really wanted to show good faith, they would halt their intimidation efforts and anti-union propaganda and immediately recognize the union at all of the stores that have submitted union card majorities. This would be accepting the basic labor right of car check, which Starbucks executives have refused to do, something that Obama should have done, uh, you know, in addition to the Affordable Care Act, but was too weak to do. Um, this is why I have introduced a Seattle City Council resolution in support of Seattle workers demanding, uh, Seattle Starbucks workers demanding exactly this, along with Starbucks workers from Buffalo and Seattle. I held a press conference last week urging the Seattle City Council to pass the resolution immediately without watering it down. I urge the progressive and socialist city council members, state legislators, and congress members across the country to follow suit. Already, fellow socialists and DSA members, Chicago Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez and Minneapolis Council member, council member Robin Wansley Loba have announced that they are bringing similar resolutions into their cities. I hope other DSA uh, elected officials will do the same nationally. So, so while they're kind of recommending a strategy of solidarity um, from, you know, the because there are some pretty, like, pretty much in every major city, uh, there will be some, you know, socialists with some major footholds in some capacity. So that could be a pretty, you know, a really interesting test for the movement here. Um, so Starbucks is going all out to defeat the workers in every store because the bosses know that each individual victory can help the union spread and will give more confidence to the whole working class. But... While these unionization efforts have, uh, you know, really enormous catalytic potential, victory is far from certain. Coffee workers will really need to rely on a class struggle approach to win. This is one of the key lessons from past victories and defeats of the workers' movement. So, the class struggle approach, according to Swan here, means taking seriously the old adage that power in the bargaining room comes from power outside. We don't win through more persuasion or making clever arguments to the bosses and their corporate lawyers, but by strengthening of our organizing in the workplace and in the streets. So yeah, actually having control over the workers, knowing, you know, not control over the workers, but, you know, knowing what the workers want and being better in touch with the workers of the union than the bosses would be. Uh, which shouldn't be hard because hypothetically the union should be made up of workers from from the store. Um, nothing demonstrates the principle more clearly than what we've recently seen at the unionized Buffalo Starbucks workers in the Elmwood store they've just accomplished. Um, so yeah, only weeks after winning their union, they went on a five-day strike and forced the company to concede to a major demand, give workers paid time off for quarantine and uh, self-isolation if they're exposed to COVID. They won this not just from themselves, but company-wide. This is a massive victory, a huge deal, and a Big, big, big boon for every single Starbucks worker who says, hey, that's what a union gets me? I like it. Sign me up. 
And it only happened here because workers were aggressive and exercised their power to strike. This victory also demonstrates another key key lesson. Our greatest power comes from withholding our labor because nothing moves under this system without the workers and shutting down production halts the bosses' profits. This last several decades have seen a massive decline in the labor movement as a majority of labor leaders have rejected class struggle methods, instead adopting a business unionism approach. And this is, again, the rot at the center of all this in the meritocracy. It's not about who can make the best argument. Politics is about resources, who has the most, and who can do the most with what they have. And that is, you know, that is really, when it comes down to it, all that it is. It's not who can make the best speech. And if you stand up real tall and proud, like you make the best speech, the, you know, Starbucks seems, okay, we'll pay you a living wage, fine. I guess you're right. Sorry, our bad. No, that is just completely not how it works. Um, you know, union density now in the private sector is just at 6%. Um, and really, that is what that has uh, led to more than anything else. So to rebuild a fighting labor movement, we need to return to the traditions of class struggle and socialist ideals on which the labor movement has built. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what Starbucks is able to do there. And we'll be following that very, very closely in the coming weeks and months. So stay locked to Newsflash. And before we go, just one quick announcement. Monday at 3 p.m., we're moving up two hours in the day um, for the Spencer Wall Show this semester with another, was it, 10, 12 episodes or so in the season uh, for the spring semester. It's going to be very, very exciting. That starts tomorrow. Uh, We'll be right back at it regularly on WMFO and we'll have the podcast for you right after on SWRN for the latest and greatest in uh, kind of hip-hop and music news.